following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Amen. We'll go ahead and take your seat this morning. I want us to... That's a new song, and I I realize that most of you probably don't even know that one yet, unless you picked up the Vertical Church Band CD last week. And... uh, Maybe you've listened to that one a few times this week. Such a great song, but with a very, very strong affirmation in the chorus. And I know we can get into a song. We can sing words without really thinking about them. But I want you to really think about them. I don't, I don't want you to just sing them. In fact, I don't want you to sing them at all. Right now, I'm going to get Jordan just to sing those lyrics from the chorus again. And I want you to really think about what you just sang. Go ahead, Jordan. Because I believe everything that you say you are. I believe and I have seen your unchanging heart in the good things and in the hardest part. I believe and I will follow you. I believe and I will follow you. I believe and I will follow you. Amen. Let's thank our worship team today for leading us. Thanks, guys. Amen. I believe and I will follow you. I mean, that's a strong affirmation. And not one that should really be said lightly. It's, it's so certain in its declaration. I believe and I will follow you. Now, not that I'm here today to create doubt in you. But can I ask, are you really that certain? Are you really that sure? about what you believe? Are you really that sure that you're going to follow Him? Because what I want for you and for me is to be absolutely sure of what we believe about Jesus Christ. Otherwise, I wouldn't do what I do every week. I wouldn't be here unless we could be absolutely certain about these these things. And we live in a world, the reason why this is so necessary, the reason why we need to come back here every week to be kind of recalibrated and reoriented to the Word of God is because we live in a world that is increasingly uncertain about truth. And we are increasingly being seen, in fact, as being foolish in terms of what we do because we dare to proclaim a certain truth about Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps you've heard this word before. I'm sure that you have. The word agnostic. Have you heard of that before? You've heard this word before. A lot of us have heard the word, but maybe we don't precisely understand what the word means. Agnostics stand in contrast to both theists. Now, theists are people who believe in God. So, We in this room, presumably, most of us anyways, the vast majority would be theists, but so would Hindus and Buddhists and everyone else. 
who believe in some form of deity. It's a broad category for those who believe in a deity. That's theists. And then in contrast, in sharp contrast to that, we have atheists who believe there is no God. In fact, atheists do believe in a God, but it's actually themselves. All right? So, so you have these two polar opposites, but agnostics are neither theists nor atheists. We shouldn't really confuse the two. Agnosticism is a, a growing thing, and why this is so important to us, and why we seem to be like jumping right into it off the top, is because agnosticism is growing at a rapid pace in our society. It's the growing norm among people that you live with, people that you go to school with, people that you work with, people in your neighborhoods. Agnosticism is growing at an alarming rate in the Western world. And it is especially prevalent among those who are called, because generations all get names now, right? Among those who are called the millennials. In other words, if you were born 1980-ish and up, you are considered a millennial. How many would fall into that category here in the room? Okay, just raise your hand if you're born 1980 or up. Okay, you are, you may have not even known this before, but you are a millennial, all right? You, you are part of, but in your age demographic, agnosticism dominates. It can be expressed this way. I think there's a God, but I'm just not sure about it. Have you heard that before? I think that there's God. There might be a God. There's probably a God. But I'm not sure about it. I don't think anyone really knows. Or they may say it this way. There may be a God, but he is unknowable. And in fact, that whole idea of, of unknowable, that's a key tenet of what agnosticism is all about. Now, one agnostic I was reading this week, Ron Rosenbaum, he wrote this. Agnosticism is not, and this is where we're going. You say, Todd, I hope we're going somewhere. And we are going somewhere. It all made sense in my own mind, so I'm hoping it makes sense to you by the time we get to the end of this. Are you still with me? Are you like, this isn't what I came for? Just hang on. We're getting there, okay? It's a long series. We've got some stuff to set up here. Agnosticism is not some kind of weak tea atheism. Agnosticism is not atheism or theism. It is radical skepticism. It is doubt in the possibility of certainty. Opposition to the unwarranted certainties that both atheism and theism offer. Agnosticism doesn't fear uncertainty. It doesn't cling like a child in the dark to the dogmas of orthodox religion or atheism. And here's the key. If you're getting anything, get this line. Agnosticism respects and celebrates uncertainty. I just wrote down beside that line, sad. That's, that's sad to me. Because if you have that kind of skepticism, that kind of uncertainty about the greater truths that we teach, then that can lead people to live this kind of empty, hopeless, even despairing kind of life. Because there is, as we would preach, there's no anchor for the soul. And the soul is crying out for truth. The soul is crying out for certainty. 
The Creator hardwired us to know there is a truth that we can grasp for ourselves and believe with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Having certainty about Jesus Christ is the foundation of every other decision you're going to make in life. How you live your lives, what you prioritize, what's important to you, what your purpose and direction for life is. And all of that, so important for us as we come to this brand new study that we're going to start today that is going to span a lot of weeks. And we're starting into the Gospel of Luke. It's going to be a long journey. And the hope is that this study of Luke's Gospel is going to give us the certainty that we should have, that God wants us to have, about Himself. And in fact... That is Luke's full intent in writing. And that's why we've talked about this whole matter of certainty. And I want you to look now. These first four verses is what we're going to look at today. And this is Luke's prologue to the entire gospel. And I just want you to see the first five words of verse 4. And just underline these in your Bible because this is the whole purpose for Luke's gospel. He just says this, that you may have certainty that's why he's writing so that we can be certain and so the end goal of reading the gospel for us the end goal of studying the gospel of luke over this next little while is going to be that we would be certain about jesus christ certain about what we believe let me read the four verses that we'll get started on today and uh, then i'll pray and then we'll get rocking on it This is Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for all that you uh, have done for us, for all that you are to us. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that we have received. God, having thanked you for these things as we get a start on this gospel. We thank you for your word that you've spoken to us. And I pray, God, that the stated purpose of this gospel would indeed be our purpose. God, that you would fill us with a growing confidence in you and in your word and in your work. Not only the work that you did, but the work that you're doing in our lives today. A growing confidence in the hope that we have beyond this life to spend all eternity with you. And so, God, show us more of who you are as we spend this time together in your word. We pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. If you agree with this prayer, amen. 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 All right, doubters, if you're here today and you're going, well, I'm a doubter, I'm a skeptic, 
Uh, maybe you're here today and you're saying, I have little faith. Maybe you're here today and your faith is pretty new. You've only recently become a follower of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're a seasoned veteran of all of this and you have uh, decades behind you in terms of following Christ, yet you recognize there's still room for more. Amen? Still room for more. And um, invite all of us to go on this journey into uh, the, uh, the book of Luke. And so let's start with this. Th- three questions today coming out of this prologue. Number one, are you certain about the things that have been accomplished? Are you certain about the things that have been accomplished? And Luke gets us thinking right away, right out of the gate, about God's great works. Verse 1, let me read it for you again. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished amongst us. Now, anyone who reads that and understands that they're beginning to read a gospel, an account of the life of Jesus Christ, knows that they're now going to get the narrative, they're going to get the stories, they're going to get the account of all the things that Jesus did, the works of Christ, the works of God's Holy Spirit in the lives of those who believed the message and followed Him. And uh, we know the gospel enough, most of us here know the gospel enough to know that the stories that we read are amazing, they're astonishing, they're overwhelming at times. The teaching that he gave um, uh, shattered lives and put them back together. We're going to see all of these things as we study uh, the gospel together. Uh, Many others we know from the text here had set out to also write an account. We know that Luke is writing at a time when likely Mark's gospel had already been written. At the very least, Mark's gospel. And other gospels had also been written. Uh, that we don't have in the canon of scripture. Uh, Matthew and John's gospels would have come later. Uh, But others had written gospels, we see this. Others had written the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. Luke was now going to add to the body of that knowledge. Uh, Not really realizing at the time that he would actually be carried along by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Spirit of God, to write what would become, what would be Holy Scripture. Now as we approach this, we have to understand that these are not just stories locked in time. They're not just a historical account of something that happened long ago uh, that's just fascinating to us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is something so special because the truths contained in the gospel are transforming truths. And we're intended to read the gospel and not just be informed, but to be changed. That's the power of God's Holy Spirit in the Word of God. The things that have been accomplished, that's the phrase from the verse, uh, were recorded so as to bring about the things that are being accomplished today. So we're not just reading a historical account. It's not locked in time. But when we talk about certainty, this is a transformational certainty in our lives. It's going to change everything about what we believe and how we live. Not simply interesting, though they are interesting. They're not simply fascinating, though they fascinate us. They're not simply informative, though we do receive information that we would not have known otherwise. And they are in every way enriching to our lives. A powerful account of what God was doing. 
powerful account of the angel Gabriel, an archangel of God showing up to make announcements to people who were counted as unworthy and insignificant in society. To go to a childless couple and give them hope. To go to a young teenage girl in a small backwater town and tell her she would be the mother of the Messiah. That's what we're going to hear in the gospel. It charges me up. To think about John the Baptist by the river Jordan preaching messages that induced repentance, that brought out the crowds to hear this man whose single sermon was preparing the way of the Lord, getting ready for his message. Jesus stunning the crowds with miracles and words that turned a nation upside down and Gentiles finding that though they were not Jews could find hope in the message of the Messiah of the Jews. That they too would be included and be accepted by God. That those who had been outcast from society And there are, make no mistake, some in this room who feel like outcasts. Perhaps you're the one sitting on the margins. For Jesus, it was nothing to go to those who had no standing at all in society. Shepherds who were so outcast, who were so looked down upon in society, that even if they witnessed a crime... They could never testify in court. They had such a bad reputation in the society. Yet they received the announcement of the new king. How God esteemed the role of women in a society that was so patriarchal that it literally treated its women like chattel, like property. Jesus, time and again, more in Luke's gospel than in any other gospel, women are esteemed and affirmed and given a place of prominence. It was counter to everything the society knew. Those on the margins found mercy from him. And I think about Jesus on the cross, bleeding out and dying. In a battle-hardened Roman centurion saying, Surely this man was innocent. Seeing something in the way that Jesus died, in the event itself, that caused this man, this pagan man, to make a pronouncement about the God of the universe. See, this narrative is given to us. All of that is in the Gospel of Luke and so much more. But this narrative is given to us so that we'll be able to be certain about who Jesus Christ is. What He did, what He continues to do in our lives. And I'm excited to think about what God's going to do in this series. I mean, it's going to take us a while to get through it. I mean, I want to take our time. I don't want to blast through this and so really starting are you ready for this because if we're really going to give a proper treatment to seeing the events of christ's life in the gospel of luke it's going to take us a while four years are you in four years or as long as jesus gives me breath how about that 
But four years, Luke's gospel falls nicely into, as he kind of moves through, it falls nicely into four sections. And the first section goes from 1-1 through to 4 13 that's the first section. It deals with the early life of Christ before his public ministry. And because it deals so much with the nativity of Christ, we've kind of locked that in around Christmas. And so we're going to do all the stuff um, pertaining to John the Baptist and kind of get us into the Christmas season and be preaching the nativity right around Christmas. And, and we'll finish it up. We'll uh, go past that into the temptation of Christ and his baptism. And we're going to Lock that down by March, and then we'll go into a new series. And then next year, next ministry year, we'll go into the second section of Luke. And uh, by God's grace, um, probably looking at close to 70-ish messages, 70 or 80 messages in the Gospel of Luke by the time we're done this four years from now, uh, the Lord willing. Amen? Yeah. All right, so we're ready for a ride together. Uh, Second question, that's the first one. Are you certain about the things that have been accomplished? And uh, secondly, are you certain about the eyewitnesses and the ministers of the word? You see, the events are not in isolation. The events, as we've already seen, are about real people. They're only a thing because they relate to people who were just exactly like you and I are. Living our lives and seeking truth, seeking answers to life's difficult questions. So he continues his opening here of verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them uh, to us. These eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, that's the same person. It's two descriptors for the same people. Uh, these accounts are flowing from people who were so compelled by what they saw. They actually saw Jesus. They were actually there when he taught. They witnessed the miracles. They saw his provision. They saw the change that was happening in people's life, uh, lives. And they saw the change happen in their own lives. And they were compelled by all of that. Because understand that following Jesus in the first century was nothing like it is today in many ways. That because they followed Jesus Christ, many of them met a martyr's death. Many of them were shunned and put out by their families. Many of them suffered personal financial loss. Because they dared to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, this has to be a compelling message. What happened when Jesus showed up had to be so gripping of their hearts that they would be willing to sacrifice everything for him. To give it all up. Are you certain? Will your certainty increase as you read about those who gave their life to Christ against all the odds? Who cashed in their lives and gave it up for the gospel? To be ministers or servants of the word of God? They had been radically transformed by the gospel. You say, well, that's not us. We're not the eyewitnesses. We, we can't necessarily know the same power and the same transformation. We weren't there. You see, this is one of the greatest things about the gospel of Luke. Because he wasn't there either. See, Luke wasn't 
a disciple of Christ. Luke wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't there in the early days. In fact, he's a Gentile, a non-Jew. He was from the city of Antioch, and the message of the gospel didn't even reach Antioch until after the coming of the Holy Spirit, after uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had been ascended. Luke never met Jesus. And he's writing to us as one whose life has also been transformed, though he never actually met him. Man, that sounds an awful lot like you and me. We have to rely on the eyewitness testimony. We have to rely on the texts that have been given to us about these fantastic, unbelievable events that took place. And we have Luke's testimony to help get us there. His research into the accounts of these eyewitnesses and these ministers of the word. His life was transformed as he recounted the transformed lives of all of these other people that we'll read about and study about in the word. The sick, the poor, the paralytics, the low-class shepherds, the despised tax collectors, all of them. Give all of us hope that our lives can be changed and transformed as well. Jesus met every one of them and made them all into eyewitnesses of his love and of his power. And like Luke, we're not eyewitnesses, and yet, don't we also have a front row seat to what God is doing right here? People's lives are being transformed in this church. But God's doing a thing here. We've already talked about those who just since September have professed faith in Jesus Christ, more than a half a dozen have made that, mis- that, that decision for themselves, made that commitment. We know those who have been baptized. We know people who are wrestling down serious marriage issues and dealing with addictions and, and just being so sober-minded about their walk with Christ and looking for the transformation. We went to this men's conference just a few weeks ago, Act Like Men, and saw men standing up and confessing in front of 7,000 other men that they're the weak, weak link in their family. And pleading with God to help them be a stronger link in the chain. That kind of humility where a man's willing to put himself out there for the kind of transformation that we see happening in the gospel. In other words, the gospel realities can happen right here, right now. And we too, though we are not eyewitnesses of Christ and his humanity on earth, we can be eyewitnesses to what God is doing here today. And I pray that he would do it as we study this gospel. And we need this. Because there is so much uncertainty in our lives, isn't there? I mean, there's so much that we don't know about. We can't afford, in light of all the uncertainty that's happening in our lives, we can't actually afford to be agnostic toward God. We can't afford to be uncertain. I mean, it's one thing to say that we're going to embark on this four-year journey in the book of Luke, but the reality is, are you ready for it? Some of us won't be here for the end of it. And I don't mean that you're going to leave the church or move out of town. I mean, you're not going to be here anywhere on earth. Our health is so uncertain. And we don't like to think about it. We, we think it's kind of morbid in some ways. It's a bit pessimistic. But the reality is we don't know what's going to happen to us this afternoon. 
let alone four years from now. I need something certain to stand on because I don't know how healthy I'm going to be tomorrow. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm grateful that Cheryl and I are where we're at with our kids now and our kids are kind of getting into their adult years and we kind of feel a little bit like survivors, you know? Amen? Amen. Praise God for that, that God's grace has been so abundant to us. Our kids love Jesus and they're seeking to serve Him with their lives. But, I mean, we have so many young couples in this church and you have little kids and there's so much uncertainty related to your children. Isn't there? I mean, I'm glad we're kind of at a place where a lot of that uncertainty is is in the past for us. We're kind of getting on to the next phase. But I, I wonder about you who are raising small children and school-aged children in the society that we live in today. And there's so much uncertainty with that that I, I want something to stand on. You should want something to stand on. I mean, you have jobs. And um, we can thank God that the recession didn't really hit Barry the way it hit a lot of other places. But I talked to a lot of people where people just didn't have jobs. And they didn't know what they were going to do. And their house prices fell by, by a quarter to a half. And negative equity situations and just awful situations for people. And I know some of you have known the uncertainty of, I don't know where I'm going to work when I'm done school. And I don't know where I'm going to live. And I, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. And what if the economy turns the other way? I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty with that. And with all of that uncertainty, I'm glad I have a place to stand that's certain. That's what this gospel is going to do for us. It's going to build a confidence into our lives. We can't afford, let me say it again, to be agnostic about God. We need to know that He's the one sure thing. When all of these other temporal things are so uncertainty, uncertain. And so we need to hear what God was doing then. We need to be confident in that. And we need to see what He's doing now as the gospel is applied to our lives and we're eyewitnesses of that work in our church and in our lives. Three questions. Are you certain about the things that have been accomplished, about the eyewitnesses and the ministers of the word, the people who he's worked in? And then third, of this question. Are you certain about the things that you have been taught? Are you certain about the things that you've been taught? I mean, I, I've read the statistic. I've even talking to some of our pastors about this this week. And the concern I have that every pastor has, that those who are raised in the youth group through their high school years, that by the time they reach their 20s, more than half, more than half of them will leave the church. In fact, about 70% of all young people, all young adults, will abandon the church. 70%. Now, some of them will come back within a year or two. Some of them will come back after they start having their families and they'll, things will click for them again. And they'll go, why, why am I here? I need to be back here. And they start getting serious about raising children and being in a marriage. But 70% will walk away. 
only a portion will come back a year or several years later, more than 35 or 40% of them are gone for good. Now, why is that? Why is it that they have not believed, not been certain about the things that they were taught? I'm not sure there's a lot of great answers for that. But I do know this, that as we're faithful in continuing to teach the gospel, but not just teach it so that we hear it and somehow click in that we know more about it, but the gospel has to be changing us. Have you heard that already? Listen, this is a transformational, I'll say it again, a transformational certainty. And the reason why I believe people walk away is because they think that it's just about information and the gospel hasn't changed anything about us. So this is the place where we insert the warning. If you're going to go on this journey, you've got to be ready to give it up. You have to be ready to be changed. Because the gospel changes everything. In our lives. It reorients and rewires and recalibrates and bring us, brings us to a place we had never been before. We want to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We wouldn't get into this journey and start this study if we weren't committed to this. We need to be certain about the things that we've been taught. And I believe that when young adults see the genuineness of our conversion and the genuineness of our desire to be like Jesus Christ, to be changed by the gospel, then fewer and fewer of them are going to abandon the faith in their 20s. They'll stay. Because the thing about the millennials, the things about, about young adults today is this. One of the most important words for them is this. Authenticity. They need to see that it's real. And then, and that we're not just simply a bunch, as has been said many times before, a bunch of Bible fatheads. Knowing more about the gospel, but not knowing it in a transformational way. It needs to change us. And so Luke thought so too. He wanted to be certain about the events themselves. He wanted us to be certain about the people who were involved in those events and also about the teaching. It's all intertwined and related. And Luke completes his thought here in verses 3 and 4. Notice what he says. It seemed good to me also. These other people had written gospels. It seemed good like uh, I should do this too. That he felt like he could contribute something to the body of knowledge that we had concerning the gospel. He says, having followed all things closely for some time past. Now Luke had meticulously researched his topic. You need to understand something about Luke. I already said that he was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew. And he was a traveling companion of Paul's. It's likely that he came to faith in Christ in the city of Antioch after the gospel pushed north and into that area of the Mediterranean world. He became a follower, then he became an evangelist with the Apostle Paul and, uh, and uh, wrote uh, what he saw on those missionary journeys that he went on with Paul. He would have had time with other apostles along the way who were eyewitnesses. There's every indication he would have been interviewing them. He would have been asking them about what they saw, recording all of these things, making notes all the way along. Would have always had his iPad with him, kind of recording down these little quotes and things that happened and making sure he got all the timelines right. 
Uh, there's indication in the way he writes that he spent time with Mary, the mother of Christ, and, and that he would have uh, uh, taken her reflections and added that to the content of the Gospels. That's why he writes um, so much about the nativity. He followed all things closely. He took a lot of time to do it. And then it's, he says this, to write an orderly account. Now, part of the beauty of Luke's gospel, Luke, you have to understand that from a study point of view, a career point of view, he was a physician, he was a doctor. And, um, and he had also, the, the commentators speculate that because of the lofty nature, how kind of excellent his language is, that he must have studied composition. He was a very good writer. And... Um, and he was so concerned with orderliness that one would suspect whether or not he was a little bit OCD. Okay, that, that everything had to be meticulous and in order. His office would look like, if he had an office, his office would look like Dan's office or Jordan's office where nothing at all is ever out of place. And if you ever visit their office, it's kind of fun just to go in and just knock something crooked and see what happens, all right? Both those guys go a little crazy uh, when you do that. So Luke was probably like Dan and Jordan in some ways. And so everything was very orderly in his writing. The gospel is sophisticated in a literary sense. It follows a highly structured and, and, and order, a logical order to it. Not necessarily mostly sequential, but he wasn't so concerned with getting everything properly on the timeline as much as he was very concerned with getting things in a logical order so that we could um, more quickly grasp the truths that were being taught. His goal went beyond the earthly life of Jesus. In fact, to uh, include a second volume called the book of Acts, he wrote both of these. Luke and Acts together form the, the two-volume box set of gospel and early church. And, um, and you can see the whole flow of the life of Christ and then the life of the church Together, and it is my heart and desire, I hope this is not overwhelming to you, four years in Luke and then perhaps a few in Acts after that. I'm thinking maybe as many as four after that. So if you can think eight years down the road and that's not, you know, blowing your mind at all, um, uh, that's where we're going to go uh, with this study. Again, the Lord willing. Now, a couple of other notes. Luke is the only non-Jew, the only Gentile to write in the scriptures. And in fact, from a, I love trivia about this too, uh, but I don't think it's trivial really in any real sense. Uh, he wrote more of the New Testament than any other author. So if you combine Luke-Acts together, the sheer volume of that is more than Paul wrote or John or any of the other uh, New Testament authors. He continues. And this is where we find out that Luke was actually written for an individual. He says, for you, he wanted to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus was likely a benefactor of his. The title on it could have been honorary, but it could be that Theophilus was some kind of ranking government official. He was evidently a Greek, given his name, and uh, he commissioned, it's possible that he commissioned and paid for Luke to be on his missionary journeys. In that sense, he was a benefactor. Uh, God very often raises up wealthy people to support missions and ministries, and Theophilus could have been that kind of man, and uh, funding the project 
to write the gospel and write uh, the book of Acts. Both of the books are addressed specifically uh, to him. Perhaps he asked Luke to write something that would persuade him. I hear what you're saying. Go ahead and write the story. I'll pay you to do it. Send me the manuscripts. I'll read it and I'll decide um, whether or not I'm believing in all of this. We really know nothing else about Theophilus beyond his mention in these two places. So he writes to Theophilus and he writes, of course, what we see in verse 4, that you may have certainty, that's our key phrase, that you, Theophilus, might have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And what have we been taught? And what's the content that Luke is going to work through? And just to highlight a few of these, that the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I mean, there's something to that, to go back to the Old Testament, to see something that was prophesied hundreds of years before, perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Luke, though a Greek, a Gentile, uses the Old Testament as much as anybody to prove his point and to show that Christ fulfilled all of these things. He talks about the inclusion of Gentiles in God's offer of salvation. That's important because we're all Gentiles. I thought you would get that one, right? How many Gentiles in the room? Just raise your hand, right? All right. So, I mean, this is good news, right? That the gospel includes non-Jews, that God used the Jewish people to communicate the gospel to us. Luke also touches on the theme of opposition that's faced when we believe and follow. These are things that we've been taught. But as we share the gospel, as we go to people and say, come and see what God is doing at our church. Come and hear the message of the gospel. Understand that some people are going to not like you for that. That's usually the extent of the persecution that we face. But please understand that people are not excited about the message of Jesus Christ out of the gate. That's normal for us. We should understand that. The person and work of the Holy Spirit is prominent in the book of Luke. The centrality of prayer. There are more prayers recorded, more prayers of Jesus recorded in the gospel of Luke than in any other gospel. The emphasis he puts on the proclamation of the word of God, that preaching is important. We believe um, in proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology here at Harvest. And that's rooted in what we believe from the gospel, that Jesus came to proclaim a message to us. And we want to be faithful to that. And I love this, the joy that we should have in the gospel. The gospel of Luke, more than the other three gospels, is an overtly positive, joy-filled gospel. He uses the words joy and rejoice more than any of the other gospel writers. And it's all rooted in the understanding of what Jesus Christ did for us. He gave his life for us on the cross. That he was re- resurrected on the third day to new life. That he ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. That he sent the Holy Spirit to us as a gift from God. And all of that, what we see happening in the gospel, should create this unbridled joy in our lives. We should all have that. And if you're here today and you're just going like, I don't, I'm not a very joyful person. I don't have that inside of me. God wants you to have that. And you're going to see that as we work through this gospel, all of this moves us towards having this transformational certainty in our lives concerning Jesus Christ. And all of that is just really a sampling. 
And I believe uh, with all of my heart that this is going to be a great few years for our church as we study all of this together. And here's what I'd like you to do this week. If you're committed to this journey, um, I'd like you to read the Gospel of Luke this week. And you say, well, how long is that going to take me? Um, About two and a half to three hours in one sitting. Or 24 chapters, I'll give you a day off, six days, four chapters a day. It's not a lot. Take you about maybe a half hour a day uh, to get through the Gospel of Luke. And I think that's going to be a blessing to you. Start circling things and underlining things and anticipating what God is going to do over the next year as we, years, as we study all of this together according to his will and for his glory. Amen? So I thought we should go back and sing that I Will Follow song again, right? Sing it with certainty, sing it with confidence uh, together. And as the band comes, let me just pray and then we'll sing that together. Father, thank you uh, so much that you have spoken to us, that we have it clearly, that much we can't deny. But God, I pray that beyond having it in our hands and record it for us to read, that God, we would go beyond just knowing it to have it changing us, transforming us, to make us more and more like you. God, we don't want to be the same, not even a little bit. We don't want this church to be the same. We want to be radically transformed by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Save those who are lost. Encourage the faint-hearted. Challenge those of us that are in rebellion and teach all of us your ways. We pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.